I want to introduce our guest speaker tonight, who is more than a guest. He's part of, he's really part of our mishpacha. Rabbi Alan Levine is founding rabbi and rabbi emeritus now of Kol Mashiach Messianic Synagogue in Melbourne, Florida. And tonight, Rosh Hashanah tonight, Erev Rosh Hashanah, is the 33rd anniversary of Kol Mashiach in Melbourne, Florida. So let's congratulate Kol Mashiach. Congratulations. Rabbi Allen is a highly respected and much-loved rabbi, one of the true pioneers of the Messianic movement in Florida and in America. He and his wife, Diana, are dear friends of Sandy and, and me, and they are trusted colleagues and advisors as well. And so please give a warm welcome to Rabbi Allen Levine. Shalom, everyone. <clears throat> so Rabbi David gave you a little, uh, a little uh, information about me. Let me just say uh, this. So this is a special time of every year. Um, but um, I just want to let you know what actually happened three years ago when Diana and I retired. Um, we were really fortunate. Uh, we had a young couple that we had raised up in the congregation. And they really had a calling on... Um, uh, leadership, uh, and the Lord really was calling them to leadership. And so I did my last service uh, with Rabbi Jude, the new rabbi, and we did it together on Rosh Hashanah three years ago um, and for the evening and the morning service. And then Diana and I looked at each other and he said, well, we got to go somewhere for Yom Kippur. What are we going to do? And, uh, you know, we have friends all around the state in different synagogues, but we said, you know what? Let's come to Beth Israel and go to the Levines and just have a great time on Yom Kippur. And when I called Rabbi David, he said, sure, we'd, we'd love you to have come up. Hey, listen, while you come up, would you like to speak? So, you know, that's how it works. Um, so, so I said, I'd be honored to do it. And so I did the, um, the evening message, and some of you were probably there three years ago. Um, and so every year we have this wonderful opportunity. We've had this opportunity over the years. Uh, on Rosh Hashanah, we would, you know, let everyone know that's there. This is our anniversary, and we just have a great time. Um, so I'm going to start out this morning with, this, with, excuse me, it's this evening. I'm so used to even after, even though I've been retired for three years, I still talk services about being the morning, so you got to bear with me, okay? Um, okay, so here's the story. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watson were sent to solve, solve a crime up in northern uh, England, and say, so they were traveling by horse-drawn wagon, and um, there were they were going to areas where there were no towns really in the area, so to speak. And so they brought a, te a tent with them. 
And uh, so the first evening, they set up their tent, and um, they uh, had their dinner, and then they turned in for the night. Uh, and in the middle of the night, Holmes woke up with a start, and he nudged Dr. Watson, and he said, Dr. Watson, Dr. Watson, tell me what you see. And Watson woke up, and he opened his eyes, and he said, oh, Sherlock, I see the stars, and I see the heavens, and I see the universe, and I see the greatness of it all. And Holmes said, precisely, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> that was my futile English uh, accent with a guy from New York, all right, so bear with me. See, we, we all seem to look at things differently. Certainly Holmes and Watson were looking at it two opposite ways here. And we look at things through our own personal filters. And we do this each and every day. Probably the best example is the Gospels, because we have the four Gospels uh, in the uh, New Testament, in the Brit Hadashah, and we see even though the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, is the common author of the Gospels, um, the Ruach had four different uh, men write the accounts of Yeshua. And so we get a little different angle from all of the Gospels, and that's what's a great thing about it. Because when you look at the different Gospels and you see some little different angles here and there, you start seeing a better, complete uh, picture. And so we can read about the birth of Yeshua, the ministry of Yeshua, even the death of Yeshua, and we can get a really good view from all these different uh, viewpoints. Um, you know, in our lives, um, sometimes people look no further than their nose. And whatever they see, the first impression they have, that's the impression they have, and that's what they speak about, and that's what they really think about. And um, some people never relate their situations around us. Unfortunately, sometimes people look at the physical world around them, and they never really attribute things to God because it just goes no further than their nose, and whatever they see around them, that's how they react to it. And so sometimes, unfortunately, God's uh, out of the picture. Some people over-spiritualize things. Some people super-spiritualize things. Um, and they do this with everything. And I used to you know, make a joke about this. Uh, there are some people out there, you know, it's like they wake up in the morning and they pray, God, which underwear should I wear this morning? Tell me which ones, you know, but I use that uh, just as a joke, but it's some people just really, they over-spiritualize everything. You can't even have a normal um, uh, conversation with them about anything without them constantly just um, uh, quoting the Bible. And listen, if you're talking about sports or a movie that you saw, it's hard, but sometimes they manage to bring, you know, scripture into it. And they say, they, you know, super spiritual. And the thing is, both extreme groups sometimes can drive me really crazy. I'm going to be honest about it. They just drive me nuts sometimes, whether they are people that 
refuse to even see God around them in what he's doing. And then there we have the extreme group that just everything is super spiritualized. Um, uh, then there are people, fortunately, at, at appropriate times, they observe the reality of the physical world around them, and they also look at and understand the sovereignty of God at the same time. And we can do that, and we should do that, even when we're looking at physical things, we should be able to sort of reconnect and look at the things around us and sort of connect them with God without sort of being super spiritualized about the whole thing. You know, after all, we are all, we are all born physically. We are born in the flesh. And we are born of a mother, a pregnant mother, and there's a mother and a father. And so we are born of the flesh and we are born into a world around us that is a physical world. So we have to relate to the physical world around us. You know, we can't just, you know, we, we can certainly uh, 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 pray every day to the Lord that he's going to protect us in no matter what we do. But when we want to cross a busy street, we, we look both ways, don't we? with our physical eyes. We don't say, I know the Lord's gonna protect me and you close your eyes and you walk, and you walk through four lanes of traffic. You don't, we don't do that because we are in a physical world around us. So in Rosh Hashanah, we have, there are two uh, traditional Torah portions that are read. And day one, because usually, you know, traditionally there is a, it's two days of Rosh Hashanah, and be, it's because of the diaspora, and they weren't really sure when there was a full moon and what the actual calendar, they didn't want to make sure they weren't a day off. And so traditionally they would have two days. And so, so and usually in Messianic Judaism, what we do is we will uh, sort of relate to the first Torah portion in the evening service, and then usually in the morning service, we will relate to the second Torah portion. And so the first day is Genesis 21, and that's basically the birth of Isaac, Yitzchak. And then the day two, we have the Torah portion, and that's when we have our morning service, and we'll usually have, within our Rosh Hashanah service, we will have a, uh, an actual Torah service within the Rosh Hashanah service and we will bring out the Torah, and the Torah portion for Rosh Hashanah every year is Genesis 22. And that is the uh, chapter basically about uh, what's called the Akidah, the binding of Isaac, the binding of Yitzchak. And so that's basically the scenario that we read about in the second Torah portion. Both of them are really very significant for us, not only in our lives, uh, but also they're very significant for us on this time of Rosh Hashanah, and that's one of the reasons that they're used in synagogues all over the world. And so commonly, it's called Rosh Hashanah, and we, it, it, we've been alluding it uh, this evening, and um, you know, Rabbi David talked about it a little bit. We call Rosh Hashanah the head of the year. Rosh, head, Hashanah, uh, it's the year. And so we call it the head of the year. It is our civil new year. 
And we're really, in a way, we're blessed because we have a couple of New Years. The other uh, famous New Year that we have, the well-known New Year, is we have the New Year right before Passover, Pesach. It's the beginning, it's the first of Nisan, and that is the New Year that God gave Israel. And so um, uh, we have, biblically, we are Yom Truah, our biblical New Year, is that first day of Nisan, the civil new year, is with uh, Yom Truah, Rosh Hashanah. And so we read Exodus 12.1 says, To Israel, God said, This month shall be the beginning of the month of the year to you. And actually, it's one of those things that was a physical event, but as God has done so often, he gives us the physical to show us something that will one day happen in the spiritual, and it has a, it's a very significant effect uh, to our lives. Uh, and usually, those things that are have a spiritual uh, connection will connect somehow, in some way, with Yeshua. And so there'll be foresh- foreshadowing. There'll it'll be things given to Israel so that one day, hopefully, Jewish people will understand. Oh yeah. I remember that thing that happened thousands of years ago. There is a connection. And so, of course, we know it. I'm just going to take a couple of seconds to mention it because we all know about it. But listen, this is the new year. It was the new year for Israel because soon after that first of Nisan, 14 days later, they would be freed by the blood of the Passover lamb. And then they would go on to their new lives. And so, of course, the reality is, all of us, when we're freed by the blood of Messiah Yeshua, we are now freed from the slavery and bondage of sin, and we are allowed to make our trek from the slavery and bondage of sin, as they did in Egypt, and one day we will enter the promised land, the great promised land, God's kingdom, with the Lord. And so... When we accept that, when we have that, the blood of Messiah Yeshua, we are given new life. And it is a new day and a new year for each and every one of us. And then we go on with our new lives, and we see by the Spirit of God, he changes our lives. He should change our lives. Our lives should be changed. And so this is the connection here. But notice this. This, is, this day is not called Yom Shofar. It's Yom Teruah. It's the day, we say the day of the blowing of the shofar. This day, this commanded feast, it's, the name is not, it's not for the object, the shofar, it's for the action. And so really, it's Yom Teruah. And we know that Teruah, Teruah, it represents the sound of the shofar. And so this is a feast that calls us to action, to do something physically. It's not about the shofar per se, just as an object. You know, um, it's a very common thing that's said in the, in the uh, New Testament. Uh, Rav Shaul said that we are to 
um, we are to worship the creator, not the created. See, and sometimes, and especially the world today, they worship the created. You know, people today, they worship Earth, and we have Earth Day, save the Earth, save the this, save the that. Uh, they worship the sun and the moon and the stars, and they have astrology, and they have the zodiac signs, and they have all these things about gods and goddesses that would um, be connected with all the different physical events, the floods and the rains and the earth, you know, and the, and the earth and the soil and the, and the, and the, uh, uh, and the winds. And so we are to worship the creator, the creator of all of these physical things. We're not to worship all of the physical things that created. So really on this day, it is called Yom Teruah because we are here to do something special about the action, but not the object. Okay, which brings me to my second story. It's gonna be my second story this evening, I promise. So in the beginning of the month of Elul, the month right before Rosh Hashanah, where preparation is done, and everyone has basically a month to get their houses all together for the high holidays. There was a boy and he received a shofar as a gift. And he was very excited to start practicing to be able to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. And so each day he would practice at least an hour a day. And he would try to get a good sound out of it. And each day he would move the, the mouth of the shofar around to his lips and he'd try to blow it and get different sounds of it. And he really just couldn't get it done properly. And so um, one day he's very frustrated and he was sitting uh, on his front porch, front porch in front of his house, and a farmer walked by. And the farmer walked by and looked over and said, what's that thing that you got there? And the boy said, this is a shofar. And the farmer said, what's a shofar? So the boy explained to him what it was and what it's done, what you do with it. And so the farmer says, can I try it? And the boy said, sure, you can try it. And so uh, the farmer took the shofar and the farmer put the shofar to his lips and out came this unbelievably beautiful sound out of the shofar. And the little boy was just stunned. And so he blew that shofar, and then he took the shofar and he handed it back to the little boy and he walked away. And that was it. And so the little boy ran as fast as he could to the rabbi. And he said, you have tried to teach me how to blow the shofar in preparation of Rosh Hashanah. And I practiced for so long, day after day. And he's trying to hold back the tears. And he says, it's just not fair. I spent all this time. And this farmer, he didn't even know what it was. And he got this beautiful sound out of it. And so the rabbi sees the boy's anguish. And he says to the boy, listen, the commandment is not to blow the shofar. The commandment is to hear or listen 
the shofar so that the sounding of the shofar, the truah, will change your heart. And so the blessing is, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olom, Asher Kishanah B'mitzvotah V'tzivanu, Lishmoa Kol Shofar. In English, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has made us holy with his commandments and commanded us to hear the sound. Or some translations from Hebrew even say to hear the voice of the shofar. So I was talking with the other Levines this morning and and we talked about something and brought it up and 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 I said you know that's funny because I was probably going to just as a little side view mention it in my message and when he when he brought this scenario up I said you know what I'm going to mention it and I said this a number of years ago to encourage the um, the congregation when I stand up here I can hear all of you singing if I listen close enough, I can hear individual voices singing. You know, if you're sitting back there and everyone's singing this way, you don't really hear necessarily, you hear everyone. And so, and I told them, I said, you know, every once in a while, I'll hear someone that is singing and they're singing their heart out and they're worshiping and they're singing flat and they don't have a good voice and you know, now maybe people around them would look and go, oh my God, I wish they would stop singing so loud. <laughs> but you want to know what? I love it. And the reason I love it is because when I hear someone that's singing to the Lord, and they know they don't have a good voice, most of them, but they're singing. I think the Lord hears that person and loves the fact that they are praising him and worshiping him even though they're not the greatest singers in the world. You know, you hear these wonderful musicians and wonderful worship people, and they have great voices and they play great instruments, and, you're, and sometimes people use that as a standard of what it should be like. Sometimes there are people that don't even sing because, oh, I don't have a good voice. But I want you to know the Lord hears you, each and every one of you, you know, Rabbi David talked about raising your hands no matter where you can raise them from, all the way up or down. The thing is, sing to the Lord, even if you have a crummy voice. Because the Lord loves it. And I loved it when I heard that. Because I knew, I could see where that person's heart was. Okay? And so, we are not commanded to hear the shofar. We're not commanded necessarily, although they, everyone, they, these guys did a great job blowing those shofars, but we're commanded to listen to the sound of the shofar. So it will change our hearts. Okay? So the Hebrew scripture says uh, in Leviticus 23 24, it says, On the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall, <coughs> excuse me. You shall have a Sabbath rest, a, memori a memorial of teruah. That's what the Hebrew says. A memorial 
of the teruah. The English translations that we have, most of them say, and you shall have a blowing of the trumpets. And you know, some people right away, you know, when you see it on the movies and everything, they have these silver trumpets, long trumpets that they're blowing. It's not, it's the shofar. And so just as when we read in the scriptures, uh, when we come to the name that we say Adonai or the Lord, it's written in the four Hebrew letters. It's not pronounced. It's actually an unpronounceable name that God gave Moses. So when we read it in our Hebrew, we substitute it as Adonai, or in English we would substitute because Adonai is Lord. Well, in the same way, I think Teruah isn't really, a, it, it's almost like we should always sing it. We should say, and, you know, we should say, and it is a Sabbath rest and a memorial of Teruah. That's what it is. It's the sound. So, uh, Zikron Teruah is to remember or commemorate the Teruah. It's a memorial of Teruah because we are to remember the sound. So hopefully it'll change our hearts. It's all about the sound. It's not about the instrument. It's certainly not about those trumpets. So now let's look at, it's a new year. And all I can say is what a new year we are starting from. What a year we had this last year, right? This was... We came out of the pandemic. Every, look, you know, we could talk about it for hours and hours, but some were struggling physically and some were struggling emotionally and some were struggling uh, financially. Um, and so maybe it's prophetic that we are starting our new year with the two Torah portions about Yitzchak because Yitzchak in English is laughter. And he was given the name laughter by, you know, probably Sarah and Abraham, because when God said to Sarah and Abraham at their ages of 90 and 100, you are gonna have a, a son. And basically he told them that he's gonna be the son of promise. And they sort of looked at each other at 90 and 100 years old and they laughed. They basically, they laughed to God. And so when that did come true, they laughed again, but they laughed in joy. And so they named him Yitzchak. So maybe, it's, maybe for us, it's, it's a little prophetic that, listen, we're starting a new year with laughter. Maybe we can try to get rid of a lot of this stuff. It's a new time for us. It is a new year for us. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's an opportunity for us to maybe have things turning around with, you know, with, with the Lord leading us to do these things. Um, you know, we just talked about the, the whole thing of the shofars. Let me just back up a second and because it's, it's, it's a sort of a pet peeve of mine and I'm going to, I'm just going to put it out there and say it. Um, you know, in Messianic Judaism, I have to say, 
we have, we have, and mostly in more recent years, there have become a lot of imitations out there of Messianic Judaism. And I believe one of the reasons is, is I think Messianic Judaism is really the prophetic move of uh, a movement reaching out to the Jewish people and bringing them to know the Lord. And so although it's made up of Jews and Gentiles together and we're worshiping the Lord together, uh, most of us, uh, our sight is, is, is set on reaching out to the Jewish community. And certainly anyone else that walks through the door gets this wonderful opportunity to, know, to learn about the Lord. But in a way, we are sort of a shofar in, in our communities. Your congregation, it is like a shofar because what you're putting out there to our community by e either talking to people in the community or the live streaming or whatever, whenever people hear about Beth Yeshua, it should be changing hearts, especially Jewish hearts. And so in a way, we are the shofar in Jacksonville, Florida. That's what you are. And so the enemy has put out these imitations as time goes on of, of people that they call themselves messianic. They're not really messianic. Uh, we have, uh, you know, one of the, probably the, one of the big groups that we all hear about is uh, the Hebrew Roots movement. It started out with a very sort of an innocent thing. Christians that wanted to find out about their Jewish roots, and I think Christians should find out about their Jewish roots. But it sort of, it ran wild, and, and so many people, they started um, uh, uh, zeroing in on the, on the Torah and on the laws of the Torah and on being Jewish, quote-unquote, instead of having their eyes on the Lord. And, and so this is the pet peeve that I have. So these Hebrew roots peoples, now they're groups called, you know, the holy name people. You have to, you have to, you have to call uh, God in a certain way. Otherwise, you're not a believer. You're not going to make it to the kingdom of God. They have all these rules and regulation. They have a warped sense of keeping the law. The law. And they, don't, they, they try to keep the Lord, the law, by the letter, not by the spirit. And so I bring this up because they, um, on Rosh Hashanah, and we have groups in our area, they advertise, they're having a get-together for Rosh Hashanah. Everybody bring your shofar. And these people, are, they're running around, blowing their shofars, blowing their shofars endlessly. It's as if it's about the shofar, not changing hearts. And that's what it becomes. You know, the same, the same people that will at Sukkot, which is going to be coming up, you know, next month, um, they, uh, uh, you know, God commanded Israel to build sukkahs, these little rickety little temporary sheds so that you could look up like Dr. Watson and see the heavens and the stars and see the greatness of God. And, and that little sukkah really uh, represents, in a way, the kingdom of God without going into that whole thing. That's what it represents. But these people, 
they all get together and they go camping on, they go camping in RVs. They go camping in tents, in, in trucks with campers. To them, it's just about getting together with a big old camp site. It's not about what Sukkot is really about. You see, so, so we need to keep these things really in, in perspective here. Um, and we really would hope that the Lord is going to help us with our understanding that he wants us to have laughter in this, in this, coming, in this coming year. Um, and also, we are to look at Yitzhak, we are to look at Isaac, because we are to realize that um, if it wasn't for God giving Abraham that substitute of the ram that's symbolized by the ram's horn, that we are to think about that every time we hear the shofar. One of the things we are to hear about, um, if it's not for God giving that substitute of the ram at the Akidah, there would have been no Isaac. Isaac would have been sacrificed. Abraham, in his willingness to obey God, was willing to sacrifice his son. That was the test that Abraham gave to see whether or not he would kill his son. And people would say, why in the world would he do that? And this is what I personally think. I've heard some other people say that and, and agree with it, but um, I think it was a test that God wanted Abraham to do the father of this new people that he had called out of the nation, called Israel or the Hebrews or the Jewish people, whatever you would call them. And so his test basically was going to be Abraham, I'm going to test you, and I want to see if you're willing to do with your son what one day I am going to be willing to do with my son. And that was the test to Abraham, I believe. And if Abraham passed that test, then he would be fitting to become the father of the, those chosen people. And so if it wasn't for that, there would have been no Isaac and if there was no Isaac, there was no Jacob. And if it wasn't for no Jacob, there would have been no Jewish people. There would have been no 12 tribes. And if there were no Jewish people, there wouldn't have been a Miriam one day born. And if there was no Miriam, there would have been no Yeshua to come through the Jewish people. So if there were no Jewish people, then prophetically it could not have happened because the Messiah was to be coming, was to come through that that set aside that chosen people. So we look and we, we are, you know, we're, we're very thankful that, that uh, we can hear that shofar and really dwell on the fact that, thank God, that he gave us the ram as a substitute. So let's try to cut through all the uh, oives of our past year. It's not easy. We keep thinking about that stuff. We keep dwelling on it. But we need to set our sights on the, this relationship that we have with the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of all creation. That's what we should be doing from today forward. And it starts with hearing the, this wonderful sound of the shofar. So you let the hearing of the shofar. Uh, Rabbi David gave a couple of reasons but there are a few others. Of course, to remind us of the Akidah, 
how God provided that ram, the substitute. When we hear that shofar, we are to remember about the very existence of Yeshua and Israel. How God provided his son as the substitute. The shofar is a call to repentance and restoration of Israel. And it is a call to each and every one of us, a call to repentance. And certainly it is 10 days before Yom Kippur because God wants us to really get our, our lives and our acts together. And the shofar gives us the promise of Messiah's return. In Joel, in the uh, Tanakh, Joel 2.1 says, Blow the shofar in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land <coughs> tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming and it is at hand. And so the shofar, the great shofar, will be blown before that day of the Lord, before the Lord comes. And 1 Thessalonians, Rav Shaul wrote to the Thessalonians and basically, he says the same thing. He said, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the shofar of God. And so there will be this heavenly shofar. It won't be blown with human lips, but it'll be from the heavens. And when we hear that shofar, we are going to know that Yeshua is coming back. And so that probably is one of the greatest reasons that we should be joyful when we hear the sound of the shofar. And so the Bible re reveals both the physical and the spiritual realities, and we're to walk in both of them. Um, and to understand that often the physical foreshadows the spiritual. And, you know, we know that the scriptures talk about eyes that do not see, and um, there are people today that you know, they don't, they really, they, they, they have no clue why we do what we do. They have no clue why we love Yeshua, why we should love the Lord, why we should give our hearts and our lives to Messiah Yeshua. But they don't see these things and they don't understand these things. And we really all need to understand that. And so when you witness to family or friends, and especially if you're witnessing to Jewish family or friends or acquaintances, they really have eyes that do not see. They can't, they can't understand it. Sometimes people think, oh, if I read Isaiah 53 to them, their eyes are going to be open. They're going to understand it right away. They don't understand it. You can read it to them and explain it to them. And they, they just have these veils over their eyes many times, and they don't understand it. And so... Even with new believers, so many times we've had people that come to the Lord and I'll say to them, okay, listen, uh, have you been reading your Bible? Yeah, I read the Bible, but I can't understand it. And I'll say to them, well, today is the day you have given your life to the Lord. You have new eyes. I guarantee you when you go home and you start reading that Bible, you'll read something you might have read a hundred times before. You're going to start, you're going to see it with new eyes and you're going to start understanding it because the Spirit of God is just going to, show you. And sure enough, they come back and they say, you're absolutely right. I read something. I read it one or two times and I shut it because I didn't understand it. But now I'm looking at it and it's like, now I understand what it is. And so we do. The Lord really does give us these 
new eyes. Um, and one final thought this evening, and it concerns the hearing of the shofar and our spiritual reality. Because tradition does tell us, and I know maybe you've heard about this before, but I just want to bring it to your mind this evening. In ancient, in ancient Jewish, uh, in the ancient Jewish wedding, um, they would, they, they would be, there would be a, a shouting and a heralding, uh, and they would, the, the, the bridegroom, before he would come to meet the bride, they would shout, and they would uh, sound the shofars, and they would say, behold, the bridegroom, and the bridegroom would go to the bride with the sounding of the shofar. Well, Yeshua's last words on the cross before he gave up his last breath, it's recorded in our English translation as it is finished. And this is the wonderful thing about Hebrew that many Hebrew words have more than one definition and you put them together and they get this wonderful picture. Sometimes it's not, it's the actual word, sometimes it's just the root word, the three Hebrew letters that can create so many different other words. And so we read it, it is finished. Well, the Hebrew for the word kala, it means completed or finished. So yes, it does and can mean it is finished. But the Hebrew word kala means bride. And so with Yeshua's last breath, he called to his bride and then died. And so when we read the scriptures, it goes perfectly with 1 Thessalonians that then Yeshua is going to return and he will be united with his bride. And we've been waiting for this for centuries and centuries. And so um, the prophetic now, it comes together and then gives us a really good understanding. And that's the final shofar that we really are waiting for. So, you know, it's really my honor this evening, not just to be here and speaking to you, but I have this honor to wish each and every one of you and to just give you these blessings from the Lord that you are going to begin today with a new year. This is a new day for you, a new year for you, a new relationship with the Lord, and a new understanding with eyes that have been opened more than ever before. Shalom, shalom.